What a blessing to be back. My name is John. My wife Emily is in the back. We have two daughters, Samantha, who is four, and Juliet, who is 16 months old. Sammy was born um, while we were still here in the States, and we left when she was about five and a half months old. And I remember while we were fundraising and we had visits and whatnot, people would say to us, are you going to take the baby with you? Maybe. We're, we're thinking about it. We're praying over it. Yeah. We attended Longview Point from 2009 to the end of 2011, January 1st, 2012. We left the States. So we've, we're coming up on three and a half years, I guess almost four years abroad. This morning, my, my family's from the Delta, and Emily and I were driving up this morning from the Delta and talking, and it was the first time, well, it was the first time we've been in the car in a while without screaming, number one. Amen? Anybody live that reality? We've been traveling a lot lately, and they needed some grandparent time today. But we were coming into Hernando from 61 and coming on 304 and just reminiscing, you know, looking at all the things we used to see when we come back from visiting my family, and really good memories, and thinking about all the wonderful families, all of our wonderful friends, and those of you who, you know, still keep in touch with us and support us, and we're so thankful for you guys. Thank you for supporting us. Now just come visit. All right, so that wasn't a joke. All right. I work at El Refugio. It is a training and retreat center that seeks to facilitate a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through nature and outdoor adventure. Okay? So we use nature and outdoor adventure as tools to bring people closer to Jesus. I'm the director of programming, which means my team designs intentionally, specifically, personalized retreats, okay, for churches, for schools, for corporations, and that sort of thing, and we've been going at it, El Refugio has existed since 1999, and this year, our theme is, and I'm not going to talk too incredibly much about the ministry, I hate to disappoint you, Wade, um, but this year, our theme is Ascenso, and which means ascent in English. But for us, it means abundant life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. If an outsider were looking at your life, would they say you're living an abundant life? If somebody looked at your life, maybe what you put on Facebook, I don't know. Sometimes we only put the abundant stuff on Facebook, you know. But... If somebody looked at your life and what's going on with your life, would they look at that and say, man, he's living an abundant life. That John or that whoever, Dave or whoever, is living an abundant life. Some of you might be thinking, well, what what exactly is abundant life? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. At El Refugio, we desire that when people leave one of our retreats or backpacking trips or whatever it is, that they're living abundant life. But what is abundant life? Here you see in this image, if you can go back one for me. I don't know if you can, you can tell at the bottom there's a, there's a volcano there, a mountain, snow-covered mountain, and there's some backpackers. And for us, we use backpacking, we use climbing, and for us, this represents abundant life. That we're on a journey in life, right? We're on a backpacking expedition. We're headed towards the summit. God has something for us. We're in community. Those backpackers are traveling together, but it's incredibly hard. 
It's incredibly difficult, but it's amazing. It's rewarding. So what is abundant life? This morning, I want to share with you from John 10. Now, this isn't all-encompassing. You might not leave today thinking, man, I've got it all figured out because I certainly don't have it all figured out. But I want to share with you a couple of pieces of what we feel like abundant life is. So if you go to John 10 with me, the context of John 10 is that in, G- in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And the Pharisees are after Jesus. I know that's no surprise for you, but they come after him again. And they're testing him again and asking him more questions, right? So Jesus decides to use very familiar imagery. He uses the example of sheep and a shepherd to talk about who he is, why he's come, and what he's doing. This is what Jesus says in John 10, if you'll read with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. And I imagine that some of you right now are like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? So Jesus goes on to try to clarify. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Remember that. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus came to give us abundant life. Father, I pray that through your word that you would show us how to live life abundantly, a life that comes from you. And we pray, amen. Interesting, right? So in in John, there's seven I am statements. And we see here in verse 7, Jesus says again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Why a door? I am the door. Okay, what does that mean? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So you have the imagery of of the sheep there. And if you know anything about sheep, y'all, y'all should be offended that y'all are called sheep. You know what I'm saying? I mean, those poor jokers, let me tell you. It's, it's really sad, the situation that sheep are in. I mean, they don't, they don't defend themselves, number one. They don't, okay? They get lost really easily. They have no homing instinct. You know, like the miracle stories you see on TV about the dog that ran 30 miles to find its family or whatever? A sheep, you've never heard about a sheep, have you? It doesn't happen. Sheep are, are, are they're not doing very well, okay? Now, so Jesus says, you're sheep. They don't defend themselves. They, they get lost really easily. And in that culture, in that time, sheep had a sheephold or a corral or I don't know what you would call it in English. I guess sheep, um, sheep pen. I don't know. You're with me, right? All right. So the place where the sheep sleep. 
But it had to be a, a protected place because the wolves would come at night and would kill them and eat them, and they wouldn't defend themselves. Very sad story. Now, at night in the cities, many, many um, shepherds would put their sheep in these pens and that sort of thing. So Jesus says, I'm the door. Well, how do you get into the corral? Through the door. Unless you're a thief and a robber. As we saw Jesus said there, then you go over the side. Jesus is the door. Only through him can we be saved. That's what it says right there, right? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the door. I'm not a door. I'm not one of the 15 doors. I'm not one of the options, depending on where in the world you grew up in. No, that's not what it says. It says, I am the door. He who enters through me will be saved. Now, Romans clearly tells us in Paul's writings that, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we cannot save ourselves. Okay, that's, that's not very good news. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, with free gift of God is eternal life. That's, that's pretty good news, right? So you start to see this picture in Romans that we're sinners, we can't save ourselves, we're sheep. We're sheep. We're just the lost, helpless animals, clueless, wandering in life. And that's how we get in the door. We have to figure out that we're sheep and that we can't save ourselves. And we have to find a shepherd that will take us because we can't do it on our own and will put us in the sheep pen. Amen? Because you can't get there yourself. You're just wandering around, hopeless. And whenever you get separated away, and that's when the wolf gets you. Right? So you need a sheep pen. (laughs) You are a sheep. That is step one. Realizing you're a sheep who needs protection at night. So at night, the shepherds have to put the sheep in there. Then the only way to get in is through the door. Well, Jesus is there. Okay? If you're saved, if you know Jesus, nobody's getting through the door. All right? Nobody's breaking in to steal you out and get you. And I'm talking about eternally. Okay? You're eternally secure in Jesus. That's why I need a sheep pen. Now... You also get to rest there. They would go out during the day. They would find pasture. They would eat. Go by the still water to get something to drink because sheep are afraid of moving water. I mean, I'm telling you, this is sad, people. We should have a documentary on sheep, and it would be a very sad documentary. They're scared of moving water. That's why in Psalm 23, what does David say? He leads me beside still waters. Okay, so we're helpless. Jesus has us. He takes us out. And just as that verse says, if anyone interrupts me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we're eternally secure. At night, we get to come in and we get to rest with him knowing, knowing, having faith and all the confidence in the world that we're safe. That's pretty good news, right? I like that. Now, in the mountain climbing world and thinking about how to teach this and this ascent theme that we're going with here, for me, that's a refuge. So I have a picture here of a refuge. This is Cotopaxi, okay? That mountain is the same as the one in the drawing. It's the same mountain, okay? The highest active volcano in the world, 19,387 feet, okay? And right now it's actually erupting, which is really fun, especially if we can't get home because it's right by the airport. (laughs) My mom's praying for that, by the way. I don't know. (laughs) I asked her to pray that it would be calm, but she's like, yes, I can't go back. All right, so that building you see there is called a refuge. Think of it as base camp. Now, that is all on the same mountain. That's just a zoomed-in picture there of what's happening. It's right at the edge of the snow line. Why do you need a refuge? Why in the world do you need a refuge? If you're going to climb 
one of these mountains, if you're going to make it to 19,387 feet, the only way you're going to get there is spending time in the refuge first. Okay? Now, you go into the refuge, and there's a really nice guy there. And he opens the door for you, and there's bunk beds, and you aren't in the 40 or 50 mile an hour winds, the sand's not getting blown in your face, the snowstorm that comes through. I mean, I, fellow Mississippians, you don't want to be in a snowstorm, amen? I mean, are you with me? You're just kind of looking at me like, I don't know what he's talking about. You have time in the refuge, time protected before the climb. You have to spend time in the refuge acclimatizing, getting used to the altitude. Think about it. We're at, what, 400 and something feet above sea level, I think, right here. Something like that. 19,000. I don't know if you've ever been to Denver. Even Denver's 5,000. You're trying to make it upstairs, you know, when you're struggling. We live at 9,200 feet, and our family comes and visits, and it's not good. It's not a good image. You have to spend time in the refuge before climbing, resting, sleeping, remembering why you're there, acclimatizing. Who is your refuge? Who is your refuge? Hmm? We say Jesus, right? We're in Sunday school, and the answer is always Jesus. We love that. Jesus. Amen. And there's another question later you can answer Jesus to. I'll give you a Heads up, all right? Jesus, Jesus is my refuge. Okay. Where do you go to find rest? Okay. Where do you get your identity from? Where does your happiness come from? Is the answer still Jesus? Is it how many likes we can get on Facebook? Is it my kid's baseball team won the championship? Is it, I don't know, whatever else that we can come up with in life that oh man, you know, Mississippi State Ole Miss won yesterday and we can't wait to make it to Sunday school to brag about it, you know? Like, is that where our happiness, why are you here? You're waiting for Sunday school. 76 points, Ole Miss did it, amen? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm being serious. Like, why, where does your happiness come from? That's where you're finding refuge. And as soon as that changes, it gets ugly. We get depressed, we get sad, we get irritated, we want to take that big, beautiful refuge on Cotopaxi and trade it for a tent. And I've slept in a tent because they were remodeling the refuge last year. And their winds were 40 miles an hour and all that sand's coming. You're, you're just doing this at night and you're just eating sand the whole time. It's a terrible experience. We do that as believers, right? We want to find our refuge, our self-worth. Jesus says, I got the sheep pen for you. I have the refuge Come and spend time with me. But we traded in for a tent because we want to listen to what everybody else has to say or what this person has to say or whether our sports team wins or all those things. Listen to the world. So who is your refuge? Don't trade it in for a tent. Spend time with Jesus. Here's something interesting that happens in John 10. Jesus says, I'm the door. We're like, all right, I got it. He's the door. He's my refuge. I've got it figured out. But Jesus does something interesting here. He has another I am statement in the same story. He's playing two roles. It's mind-blowing, I know. Here he says, I am the good shepherd. So not only is he the door, is he our refuge, but he's also our good shepherd. Now think about that. So he's not just the guy that runs the refuge, right? He's not just the little guy that makes you the soup and makes your bed for you so that, you know, when you get up to climb, you're taken care of and then says, good luck, have a good climb, if you make it back, I'll, you know, see you then, right? I mean, he's not that guy. He's not only that guy, 
that prepares the refuge for you. He's also your guide. Think about that. That's pretty amazing, right? He not only gives you the place of refuge, gives you the crowd to sleep in, protects you from the elements, gives you rest. But when you leave to go out into the world, he puts on his climbing boots, his helmet, his harness, his, gets his rope, ties himself to you, and then heads out with you. That's amazing. Incredible. Think about that. You're on the mountain. You're headed to the top. Jesus is leading you. He is the good shepherd. He's the good guy. Now think about it. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm glad he didn't say, I'm a bad shepherd. That would be kind of sad. We're already helpless sheep, right? We need a good shepherd. He said, I'm good. I'm a good shepherd. I know the territory. I know where to find the still water. I know where the green pastures are, right? I know how to protect you from the wolves. I know where to lead you. That's good news. I've had an experience where the guide wasn't so good. It was a long night. Okay? So we, we get out of the tent there at Cotopaxi, and Esteban, one of the guys that works for me, was our guide, and he's learning how to guide. I didn't tell Emily that before we left the house, but, you know, he's learning how to guide. So we set out, and you have to set out at, at midnight, okay? So you have to start at midnight because the sun comes up on the equator, heats the glacier, the snow gets loose, and there's avalanche risk, essentially afternoon. So you shouldn't be up there afternoon, okay? So you have to start at midnight. So you start out at midnight. A couple of hours go by. I'm not doing so hot, okay? Altitude's brutal. And we get to a huge, the glacier slides down the mountain, okay? And it cracks open and leaves these, you know, 40 or 50 meter cracks in the ice, all right? So we get to one of those. And Esteban's looking at his GPS. He's like, well, I mean, it says we're supposed to go this way. I don't think we're going that way, Esteban, (laughs) you know? So we wander around for a couple of hours, and it's pitch black dark. You know, it's 2 a.m. You haven't slept. You're not feeling good. And it's kind of hopeless. It's kind of sad, right? So eventually we find our way around that crack. It took us a couple hour detour. And I say, Esteban, how much longer? He said, two hours, but if we're, you know, kicking it. I said, all right. An hour later, I said, Esteban, how much longer? He said, about an hour and a half. It's like, wait a second. An hour ago, an hour ago, you told me two hours. And he says, no, no, no. I said if we were, you know, kicking it. I'm like, oh, sorry. That's my fault. Sorry about that. Anyway, eventually we make it to the summit at 10, 15 a.m. You're supposed to make it at 7 a.m., but we had some detours. I know what it's like to not have the best guy. And I don't say that to talk about a Stavon. He was learning. He's figuring out. But some of us do this with our life, Right? It's one thing to be on a mountain, and it's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous in those conditions. And a joke about it. Oh, ha-ha, you got lost, spent two hours lost, and, you know, didn't want to be up there anymore. Oh, ha-ha, you know. Life, your life, who is your guide? Who is your guide? Who's guiding your life? So not only who's your refuge, but when you lead that refuge, when you head out climbing like you do every day, who's guiding your life? The good shepherd? Nobody? Who is guiding your life? So Jesus says, I'm not only your refuge, okay? I am the good shepherd. I am your guide. So an abundant life finds its refuge in Jesus. Amen? An abundant life starts when we have met Jesus 
when we get into the corral for the first time, when we have that protection, that salvation that we're not going to lose, we can rest in that, find confidence in that. That's an abundant life. And not only that, but we don't have to leave that behind when we leave that. We get to go in and out. We get to go climb, be guided by a good guide, right? And then come back to the refuge, be protected from the elements. An abundant life is one guided by Jesus. If you're thinking today, you know, I'm probably living the stressed life. I'm living a worried life. You might not be being guided by Jesus. That might be the issue. Maybe you know Jesus. Sometimes in Baptist life we say, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Right? You've heard that before. There's a reason we say Lord and Savior. Savior, refuge. Lord, guide. They're distinct things, but they work together. So some of us want our refuge. We want to get in trouble in the glacier and run back to the refuge and have protection and everything to be okay. That's what we want. It gets tough, we go back, right? We feel better. We've gotten used to the altitude. We head out again, right? Life gets hard, not going how we want it to. Let's go back to the refuge. Amen? Have you lived that before? Who is guiding your life? And if you don't feel like you're living an abundant life, it's probably you're not being guided by Jesus. Check there first. But here's something interesting that we see here as well. Not only who's your refuge, who's your guide, but remember the context that we originally started with was that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he's trying to paint a picture for them of what's actually happening. Right? So... Jesus has some strong words for the Pharisees. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Who's he talking about? And his answer is not Jesus. Some of you are about to say that. Don't say that. Pharisees. Next. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So, Who are they talking about? Who is he talking about? The strangers. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. All right, next. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. Who is he talking about? The Pharisees. Now, my question for you this morning, thinking about them, thinking about that they had illegitimate authority, not God-given authority, illegitimate authority. They were thieves and robbers. In the eyes of Jesus, these guys are thieves and robbers. Let's call it for what they are. False leaders, selfish, egotistical, terrible people. We can call it like we see it. I mean, Jesus called them thieves and robbers. I don't feel like I'm saying, I'm not exaggerating, right? So we see what Jesus says here. And we also see that people follow them. Some people in that context. Jesus had legitimate authority. He was the one the Old Testament prophesied about. He was the fulfillment of the prophecies. He was the one born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He was the son of God, right? So Jesus came in through the door. Jesus is the door. He's the one who rightfully earned that influence. Are you following me? Okay. The Pharisees are thieves and robbers. But some people listen to them, okay? We see that in verse 5, The sheep hear my voice. So here's what happens. Many shepherds would come into the town. They'd have the corral there. They'd put all the sheep in the corral. Okay? 
The shepherd spent so much time with the sheep. So much time with the sheep. They knew his voice. Isn't that amazing? Now, they weren't good at much, but the sheep at least knew his voice. So the shepherd would come to the gate in the morning, holler for him. I don't know, whoopig suey or whatever, you know, or whatever it was to call him out, right? And they would know his voice. His sheep would leave. Isn't that amazing? And then they would go out and find green pasture. So when Jesus says... They didn't, listen, they didn't listen to the other people's voices, the other people that were trying to have influence there. Real sheep know Jesus' voice. So now that you have the context, who has a voice in your life that shouldn't? Who has influence in your life illegitimately? Who are you listening to Jesus? When he comes calling at the door of the refuge, do you come running out? Do you know Jesus' voice? I think... It's so important to spend time in the refuge. I was, uh, about a month and a half ago, climbing Chimborazo, which is a different volcano in Ecuador. 20,700 is the peak, the summit of that one. Now, that's twice the altitude I live at. And I I trained. You know, I was physically ready, I felt like, legs-wise, you know, and having the ability to, to take that for, you know, eight hours straight, you know, going up. But I get there, and we're camping at 16,000 feet, okay? I ate, and this, I hope it's okay I tell the story. Wade, tell me after the service if I can't repeat the story in a second. Okay. I ate, like, ramen noodles and hot dogs for supper. I mean, and that's going to come up again later. I'll give you a hint, all right? So, I, I don't know why we eat that. That makes no sense at that altitude. But my guide, importance of a good guide, people, let me tell you. All right, so we leave out, so we lay down to sleep. I never go to sleep because I don't sleep at altitude. And I get up, and I'm very nauseous, right? So I say, okay, guys, I'll be back. So this is, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I go and see all of that again, right? You would think some of it would be digested. I don't know. I mean, it was just a, it was just a terrible, terrible thing, all right? Ramen noodles, little hot dog pieces, everything, all right? You're not thinking about Mexican for lunch anymore, are you? You're not. Gotcha. We can focus. All right. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So you're burning thousands of calories, and I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat. So four or five hours later, we sit down to rest, and it's, you know, 3 a.m. or something like that. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to sneak me a drink, you know. I'm going to open up my Nalgene. I had some, like, sugar tea powder in there trying to get sugar and electrolytes and everything take a drink of that, and I don't remember what I took a bite of, maybe chocolate or something. Now, that's an official climbing food. You may not believe me. You're like, chocolate? It's an official climbing food, right? So I was like, okay, I feel better, and I stand up, and it was instant. All of it out again, okay? My headlamp, I'm, you know, looking around trying to handle all that. Why do I tell that story? No point, really. Uh, <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. Why do I tell that story? Before I went out climbing, 
A week before, you should go camp at altitude and spend a lot of time at altitude so your body produces enough red blood cells so you can handle the altitude. I didn't do that. I just went and climbed, okay? I did not spend enough time in the refuge. Let me say that again. I did not spend enough time in the refuge to handle that climb. Now, where do you think I'm going with this? We think we can handle life, we can handle it on our own without spending time with Jesus, without spending time. And I didn't summit that day. I didn't make it. I made it 167 meters from the summit, and we couldn't handle it. Why? Because I didn't spend enough time in the refuge. How are you doing? Are you living an abundant life? A life that finds refuge in Jesus, that has salvation in Jesus, that goes back to Him. We hear what the world says, that we're not this, that we're not this, that we're that, and and there's some very not flattering things. How do you respond? I encourage you to go back to the refuge. Remember what Jesus says about you, that you're His, that you're His child, that He loves you, that He died for you. Spend time in the refuge. An abundant life is a life that finds its refuge in Jesus. And an abundant life is a life that is guided by Jesus. Be careful who you're giving influence to. We have one more picture I want to show you. We enjoy climbing as a team and um, all the things that come with that. See how well you can see that picture. Decently well, right? So you see a very handsome American there in a green jacket, right? With uh, my team, my program design team. And that's Cotopaxi on August 31st last year. We went to climb together. What do you notice in that picture? The answer's not Jesus. Okay. Do you see all those little people walking? And then there's a building up there. That's the refuge. I don't know how well you can see it, but that's a refuge. It was so clear that day. And you don't see these volcanoes every day. Once or twice. It depends on the time of year. If it's rainy season or dry season. But it's always a treat when you do. But this day when we went, not a cloud in the sky, which on the equator is very rare, right? All those little dots you see are people going to the refuge. Families going to the refuge. And we stopped to take a picture. Because we were the only ones that were actually headed to the summit. Um, people would stop and take pictures with us because we had all the gear and the mountaineering boots and the axes and everything. I'm fascinated thinking back on that now, the way I think about a refuge. And I think about Jesus as our refuge. And I see those families together. Father, mother, son and daughter, headed towards the refuge. Beautiful picture. And I want to ask you this morning, where does your family find refuge? Little League sports? Where? Where does your family go for refuge? Who's leading your family? Are you leading them? Is Jesus leading them? And every time I see that, I just think, see how those families headed towards the refuge. Think, man, I hope I'm doing my job <laughs> leading my family to the refuge. An abundant life is one that finds a refuge in Jesus.
An abundant life is one that's guided by Jesus. Being careful whose voices is listening to. It begins with salvation. It deepens in the refuge. And it's lived with Jesus as a guide.